You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Ah, the long wait is over, and we are set for Showdown Saturday. Marquee matchups front and center stage this weekend. Rockin' Ritz Sermonello, this is what it's all about if you're a college football fan. Joe, we have waited an entirely long offseason for this moment. We had week zero last week, (laughs) right? It was a little bit of an appetizer for the college football season. Now we have week one. Talking season is over. College football season is fully upon us. This is what it's all about. Rich and I are going to be with you for the next three hours. Sit back, relax. We have you covered. We're going to go through all the top 25 games at 924 Eastern, 624 Pacific. We'll be joined by former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver, Corey Allen will get Corey's take about the SEC, including Georgia's game against Appalachian State a little bit later today at 1040 Eastern. We'll be joined by our resident guru, Gabe Morenci from Game Time Decisions. We'll get Gabe's take about his best picks for the 12 and 330 games. He'll be with us at 1140 Eastern, 840 Pacific. We'll get his take about the later games tonight, as well as Sunday and Monday's games. But Rich, it's all about top 25 battles interconference play. We saw a team in Ohio State struggle in the first half uh, Thursday night against Indiana. They trail 14-13 to 13 at the half, but JT Barrett and more importantly J.K. Dobbins took off in the second half to, for a convincing 49-21 to 21 victory in Bloomington. Joe, I'm going to make a new year <laughs> resolution, new college football year resolution. I, I, I'm not going to overreact to what happens to week one, whether it's bad or good. We recognize, look at USC last year, right? 52-6, to six, they take it on the chin against Alabama, but then they rally in the second half of the season. So in terms of Ohio State... Yeah, there are some concerns. Pass defense looked a little bit iffy. They struggled in the first half. JT Barrett, not impressed by JT Barrett. But again, new offensive coordinator with Kevin Wilson. Three quarters of that secondary is new. So let's kind of tap the brakes on Ohio State being vulnerable at this point. They did get the win on the road against a feisty Indiana team. Yeah, and that's the thing with a new offensive coordinator. You start to see the game through a different set of eyes. That coordinator has to understand how that talent responds in game situations. He has to call the game plan around that talent and, more importantly, could be less or more aggressive than his predecessor. So we'll see how that game plays out next week in Columbus as Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma come to town because if the inconsistent Consistency offensively and defensively continues next week could be a long day for the Buckeyes. Yeah, I mean, I think it sets up, we'll talk a lot more about it next Saturday, but it sets up as a really interesting matchup, which we knew already. But Baker Mayfield and those receivers have to be licking their chops because Richard Lago, who is not Baker Mayfield, really had a lot of success with Nick Westbrook and Simi Cobbs in the first half of that game against Ohio State. So, you know, that could be a problem next week against an advanced and a very good Oklahoma offense. Yeah, Lego and company passed for 65 times in that matchup. Three new starters in the Ohio State secondary. Denzel Ward and the crew got burned in the first half, made halftime adjustments to pull away 49-21. to 21. But we're just getting started. This is what it's all about. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermon live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
Back on College Football Today, Joe Luisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34. We're going to get into the Week 1 matchups in just a couple seconds. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You could follow me on Twitter, at Go for the 2 You could follow Rich on Twitter, at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Rich, big battle taking place place in Atlanta, number three Florida State, number one Alabama. Ho Nelly, baby. This is some matchup later tonight. Yeah, I mean, it's a great way to kick off the season. I don't think we've ever had an opener. I hate to kind of get hyperbolic. I, I don't remember an opener this big. I mean, we've never had a preseason number one go up against a preseason number three. We have Nick Saban versus his protege, Jimbo Fisher. We have gobs of NFL talent on both sides of the ball. We've got two young quarterbacks in DeAndre Francois, Florida State, Jalen Hurts of Alabama, rookies last year. Now they're sophomores, so I want to see who is developing faster. Just so many great matchups. Derwin James returns for Florida State. Minka Fitzpatrick on Alabama. So, you know, you, you have something for everyone. You also have SEC versus ACC. And from what I hear, there's been some controversy as to which is the better league well, at this point. Well, that's where I was going. A great statistics here. Alabama hasn't lost a week one game since 2001, Rich, to UCLA and Tuscaloosa. They've won those 15 straight by 25.4 points per game. Florida State over the last 10 games against, uh, with Jimbo Fisher, 9-1 and one against the SEC and has won those games by 15.8 points per game. Last loss came in 2012 to Florida. Week number one, Florida State since 2010, 7-1, and have won those games by 34.4 points per game. Now, they haven't started against the top team in the country week number one, but I think this matchup is, can DeAndre Francois stretch that Alabama defense vertically? This was an Alabama defense last year that did allow three opponents to pass for over 400 yards. Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Clemson, to me, that's the recipe to beat Alabama in this ballgame. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair point. My concern, if I have to find that one sort of flex point, that soft point in this game, because these are truly top five teams. And, and win or lose, unless it's a complete, you know, a, a complete blowout, right. I think both of these teams are clearly still going to be in the playoff mix. But my concern right now, I agree with you on DeAndre Francois, but... Does he have the supporting cast to beat that Alabama defense? Uh, I love Cam Akers in the backfield, but he's never played in a college football game before. These wide receivers out in Tate, Nyquan Murray, have a lot to prove. They, they lost their top receivers from last year. And my biggest concern, I'd like your take on this, is the offensive line of Florida State. They gave up 36 sacks last year. Francois was knocked around the backfield throughout the 2016 season. Will he have time against that Alabama defense that has had months to prepare for this opponent? And that's the matchup you want to see play out uh, at Florida State's offensive line going up against the top team in sacks last year in Alabama. 54 total sacks as a defensive unit. 36 and a half of those, though, go out the door with graduations and people moving on to the NFL draft. 
I think it comes down to Jimbo Fisher's ability to play call and really game plan against Nick Saban. He's had six months to prepare for this matchup. That's the concern. I think if you put Florida State into third down and long situations, that will be critical for their offense and, more importantly, Alabama's defense. But if you're aggressive on first and second down, play action and stretch them vertically, that can get the Alabama defense thinking pass on on the early downs and open up running lanes for Akers and Patrick later in that ball game, so that's the matchup that I want to see really progress throughout this game. I think Jimbo Fisher has an edge here from an offensive perspective. You look at the week one quarterbacks that Alabama's faced in recent years, Denard Robinson, Joel Stave, Max Brown. I mean, they're not exactly world beaters, and you're talking about a sophomore sensation in DeAndre Francois that passed for 22 touchdowns last year. Yeah, I mean, he played with a tremendous amount of poise, tremendous amount of guts. I I think that's what's fascinating about week one is, you know, there are progressions that have been taking place in the offseason, both in terms of overall team level, but individual level as well. We don't know, right? I mean, Thursday night, we didn't know what to expect from J.K. Dobbins, and here is this true freshman rushing for 181 yards, setting a freshman record for Ohio State. So there's going to be a lot learned throughout this first weekend about players. Francois is going to have to take the next step. I'm also curious about Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts, who did so well last year with Lane Kiffin, say what you will about Lane Kiffin as a coach, but as an offensive coordinator, did a great job in Tuscaloosa. Now you have Brian Dable coming over from the NFL, did a really good job with the New England Patriots, but now he has to coach younger kids. Is that RPO that was such a big part of Jalen Hurts' game last year, the run-pass option, is that still in play? Are we going to see more of a traditional NFL-style pocket passer out of Jalen Hurts later on tonight? That's a great point because I said it. With the new offensive coordinator, you have inconsistency. It's a feeling-out process. I say they're like pitchers. They're like quarterbacks. They need to get into a rhythm in terms of play calling, and that's the one thing that Lane Kiffin did fantastic last season is he gave his uh, – playmakers the opportunity to catch ball balls in space and now Dable has to reload uh, the one thing when you look at Jalen Hurts' game last year in the last two games when teams forced him in the pocket he was an inconsistent quarterback especially in third down situations Alabama in the last two games last year against Washington and Clemson struggled in third downs against Washington they converted 4 of 14 28 percent in the national championship game it was 2 of 15 which was 13 percent if Florida State can put Alabama and Jalen Hurts into third down and long situations, that'll benefit uh, Derwin James and McFadden in the back end in this matchup. I'm not sure if that happens. Here, here's a big difference for me is I like the supporting cast. I like the skill position players of Alabama better than Florida State. I, I have high hopes for Cam Akers, but again, first game, you have Calvin Ridley. He's the best wide receiver in this game. You have Bo Scarborough. He's the best running back in this game. And you have Jonah Williams at left tackle. He's the best offensive lineman in this game. I'll throw one more name out. You know, we're going to talk a lot about Cam Akers in terms of true freshmen, blue chippers, you know, those rookies who are going to not play like rookies. I'm going to give you the name Jerry Judy, a wide receiver to complement Calvin Ridley. Ridley's going to get a lot of attention. He's going to be locked up with McFadden and Derwin James. But watch Jerry Judy tonight. I saw some clips of him in the offseason. Really looks like a freakish athlete to complement Ridley on the outside. He had a great spring game as well, and they utilized him. So we'll see how Brian Dable utilizes his playmakers. No O.J. Howard's going to be key for this ballgame. Not just in the pass game, but as an extra blocker to give running lanes 
wins to Scarborough because when you look at Florida State's defense last year, they allowed 128 rushing yards per game, but they got better as the season progressed. There were teams like Louisville that were able to break contain, and that was with Demarcus Walker in that lineup. He led that team with 16 and a half total sacks last year. He was the emotional leader for that defense. Now he's gone. Josh Sweat and that defensive front seven really have to step up in this matchup. I think the one thing when you look at Florida State, they have the speed to compete with Alabama just the way Clemson did. They can run sideline to sideline, and for me, that's why I think they'll be in this ballgame. I mean, when you look at the other teams that Alabama's played week number one in terms of speed offensively and speed defensively, they're raw, but they still have the talent to compete with Alabama in this week I, I one game. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I think this is a matchup that is similar to last year's national championship game. I mean, Clemson obviously went toe-to-toe with Alabama, eventually won that game in the final second, won the national championship. Clemson last year versus Florida State this year, I don't see many differences. Obviously, you have a proven quarterback in Deshaun Watson. DeAndre still has a lot to prove, but in terms of physical ability, speed, Florida State has every bit as much as Alabama. I think this is a four-quarter game. I'd be surprised if it was a blowout in either direction. And I think it's a low-scoring game. I really do. I think when you look at what Florida State's going to try and do, I think they're going to try and attack the defense vertically. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a tempo type of game. But I think they're going to, once if they can get up early, that watch them start to utilize tempo. I don't think they try to get Alabama into a shootout. I think they try to score in the area of 20, 24 points. Keep it in that low-scoring game. I think the game. winner gets into the 30s, though. Do you really? I do. Uh, I think there's uh, a lot of offensive skills. My one concern about Alabama, listen, Alabama's Alabama. They right. have the process. They have the talent. They'll reload. You'll see names like Rashawn Evans, Sean Dion Hamilton, Deron Payne. I think we'll have a great game against a very shaky Florida State offensive line. But who are the defensive leaders? Where does the leadership come from? Minka, as good right. as he is in that secondary, he's a little more of a low-key kind of a kid. He's not very vocal. They don't have that Jonathan Allen-type player just yet. So I think there are some defensive concerns on Alabama as well. And Reuben Foster, who yeah, was a, an exactly. absolute beast last year. And here's the concern, and I'm not hating on Alabama. Listen, Nick Saban, the best coach, current day, modern day, four national championships at Alabama. I'm just looking at this game when you break down both teams objectively. Florida State should be in this matchup from a speed perspective. I think when you look at it, uh, the run defense is going to be key for Alabama. Last year only allowed 60 three rushing yards per game only allowed two opponents to rush for over 200 texas a&m and ole miss so we'll see how this game plays out rich and i will give our pick about this game a little bit later stay with us this is joe lisi rich sermonello fantasy sports radio network Talking a little SEC football. If you want the right information, you got to reach out to a big-time player that played in the conference. He's live on this uh, Fantasy Sports Celebrity Guest Line. Want to welcome in former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey, how are you today? I'm really good, Joe. I mean, we can't be more excited down here in SEC country. We've got games on the slate. Football is in the air. The weather is nice. So we can't complain because we're excited. And we want to see who comes out on top this first weekend of college football. 
Corey, marquee battle later tonight, Alabama, Florida State. It really doesn't get better than this, but we were talking about Jalen Hurts and DeAndre Francois. In your opinion, Corey, which quarterback is more important to the success of his team later on tonight? To be honest with you, Joe, I'm going to have to put that pressure on DeAndre Francois simply because uh, Jalen Hurts has a proven commodity. The Alabama defense has been strong years before and even last year. And up until this point, they haven't shown any weakness. I think DeAndre Francois is going to have a tough time facing that Nick Saban defense, and he's going to have to do his best job to keep his keep his team in position by not turning the ball over and do his best on third down. This is going to be a big-time moment for DeAndre Francois. He's played in great games before, but the stage that he'll have in Atlanta tonight is going to be one where he won't have a chance to make a lot of mistakes. I think he's just got to be crisp, uh, much crisper than Jalen Hurts, who has a little bit more of a margin for error. Hey, Corey, it's Rich. How are you today? Good, good. Uh, t- talk to me a little bit about Brian Dable. Uh, Joe and I discussed it in the early segment, new offensive coordinator. What kind of an impact does that have on the personnel with no time to prepare, really? This is the first game of the season. To be honest with you, he's had an entire offseason, so his, his main worry has been the installation. Whenever you have a new offensive coordinator coming to a team that's really proven as far as the athletes are concerned, the main thing you need to do is get your theories across, get your system in place, and make sure you really get that installation done properly. I think when you have veterans coming back, especially under center, then it really makes that transition a lot smoother. So I think Dable's in a straight – he's in a very strong position Number one, because he's got a great quarterback who can understand and pick these things up quickly, who I've also seen the competition. But he also has a lot of talent around him. So whatever offensive theory he wants to bring to the table, he should have the weapons at his disposal and at the same time a great defense to keep him in a strong field position. So he's not at a complete disadvantage installation during the offseason has been the key to getting his team prepared. Corey, another SEC Big Ten battle taking place here is Michigan and Jim Harbaugh taking on Jim McElwain in Florida. Florida is decimated with 10 suspensions. One of those is leading wide receiver Antonio Callaway and leading rusher Jordan Scarlett from last year. Can Florida overcome this and still come to Arlington and compete later on today? I'll be honest with you, Joe. I think Florida is still going to be a tough matchup for Michigan, primarily because of what they bring on the defensive line. They've got a strong defensive line. They've got a strong offensive line. And even though they've got a lot of young men suspended, you still got playmakers like Tyree Cleveland and Brandon Powell who are ready to step up. You've got the junior college transfer. When you look at Mark Thompson in the backfield, who can come in and replace Jordan Scarlett for at least one game, I think the talent at the University of Florida is going to keep those young men in position to uh, face off with Jim Harbaugh. Of course, it's tough to say who Harbaugh brings to the table because you know they don't release a depth chart, but we understand that he's got Wilson Spade back. We know Rashawn Gary is on his defensive line as a stalwart this year, so uh, it's going to be a tough matchup, especially in the trenches, which is where it's going to be won and lost, but I still believe the Florida Gators have the talent on the perimeter to stay in the game and be competitive. Corey, I'm going to jump ahead to uh, Labor Day and a couple of teams that you know well, uh, Georgia Tech and Tennessee. Uh, I love this matchup. I'd like your take as to what are your expectations? Georgia Tech 3-0 and versus the SEC East last year. Now they go up against Butch Jones and the Volunteers. 
I think Georgia Tech is actually in a good position. I don't like that school at all, but I will say 3-0 <laughs> and against the SEC East. You can't shake a stick at that. They do have a resume that's going to speak for itself and a system. They've got a system down there that's going to really challenge uh, what they do at Tennessee. Bush Jones is going to have to make sure that his team is prepared and, and they're going to have to play uh, responsible football. They have to all be sure to do their jobs on that defensive side because the option attack that Georgia Tech is going to bring to Atlanta is going to be a, a tremendous, a tremendous machine to try to stop. It's going to be a good matchup. Two teams headed in an upward direction, and this is really going to help to define the season of which team is, is ready to take that next step forward. I, I honestly think Georgia Tech is in a strong position. I'm hoping Tennessee can win for an SEC victory, but, you know, realistically, that option attack, if you have not seen it consistently, it can surprise you, and by the fourth quarter, you look up, and they've got 300-yard rushings and a, and a 10-point lead, that's tough to overcome. Corey, I always said in a week one matchup, when you have a new quarterback with young wide receivers, the quarterback-to-wide receiver relationship sometimes uh, takes a while to build cohesiveness and continuity. I want to get your take as a big play wide receiver within the conference. What's the biggest thing a wide receiver, especially week one, uh, a raw young wide receiver has to do in terms of getting that continuity with a young quarterback? you got to build that trust. You have to make sure your quarterback trusts you, not just on first down, but on third down, not just on second down, but even when the game is on the line. The main thing that you have to develop is that trust and that cohesion that you develop with your quarterback as a receiver is going to be important. Uh, your quarterback needs to understand that when you take the field, you're going to be where you're supposed to be even when pressure's on because he has to deliver the ball uh, in, in, in the face of a lot of adversity. So the main reason you need the cohesion between those two units is for that level of trust so that we can develop as, as, as a team, so that the teammates can understand each role that they all play individually and make sure they bring those roles together. The quarterback-receiver combination is very uh, important because they aren't very close to each other when you look at their proximity on the field is, you know, the, the perimeter guy versus the signal caller. So it's extremely important. The main thing is building the trust so that everyone knows that you're going to do your job and I'm going to do my job. And catching this ball and keeping it secure is really at the top of the list. Corey, what are the odds that uh, Coach Smart uh, showed some video of the Appalachian State-Michigan game from a decade ago with, uh, with the Mountaineers headed into Athens uh, later on today? To be honest with you, Rich, I don't think that's likely at all because it's very clear. Uh, uh, the, the conversation around campus, the conversation around the team, we understand who Appalachian State is. The University of Georgia is really facing a tough opponent, and App State has shown that they're not afraid to go into a big house, the big house, and perform well. Uh, what we want to establish, what the Bulldogs are trying to establish, is a tempo, is a mindset, and it cannot change regardless of the opponent. So we, we really need to show up as Bulldogs and, and try to dominate this game. Appalachian State is a talented unit that's going to come in here with no fear. And I know Kirby Smart understands that, but I don't believe he's going to show tape from Michigan to try to uh, remind those guys or put any additional fear in their heart, not as if they're going to have it. But I think he's looking forward to what Georgia will be, and we don't want to look back. We need to understand that the opponent, regardless of who it is, needs to get our best effort. We cannot take them lightly because it, it, whether it's App State, Kentucky, Michigan, it doesn't matter who it is. If you take any team lightly on a Saturday in the fall, you, you're subject to get beat. 
Corey, I want to stay with Georgia and Jacob Eason, their quarterback, a freshman year last year, 16 touchdown passes, struggled in the early part of the year, did throw eight touchdowns in the last six games of the season. But I, I wanted to get your take because there's been a lot of rumblings in Athens about Jacob Fromm possibly unseating Jacob Eason as the starter as the year progresses. <laughs> Do you feel there's pressure on him, especially week number one against App State later on today? I don't think there's any pressure on Jacob Easton at all. I think what he's learned from Jake Fromm, an incoming freshman, a guy who's very great in the film room, a guy who not only is good in the film room but translates the film work to the field, I think it's pushed Jacob Easton to be a better quarterback himself. Uh, The talent is on Jacob Easton's side. He's much taller, bigger, faster, stronger than Jake Fromm. But Jake Fromm is a very seasoned quarterback coming from a strong high school system. And what he did was allow Jacob Eason to understand that there's another young man in the room willing to compete at a high level. And I think that motivated Jacob Eason to take those steps. And that's what Kirby Smart acknowledged in the offseason. We've seen that young quarterback grow from last year's performance. And we, we expect a lot more this year as he does have pressure behind him. That pressure behind him isn't necessarily a hot seat. It's really much more of a support team, a support staff. And when you have quarterbacks who can get along and compete at a high level, it does nothing but help the team get better. So I feel like that's that's been a benefit for Jacob Eason, and it's going to show in the fall when he takes those snaps. Uh, for the Bulldogs. Corey, before we go, we're going to put you on record. Who do you have coming out of Alabama, Florida State, and Michigan, Florida? Alabama, Florida State, I think DeAndre Francois is going to face a tough battle. Uh, I'll just stick to the script. Saban is going to continue to beat up on his assistants. I see a 24-20 to matchup, and I also look at uh, the other game, I don't know if you asked me, but the Florida-Michigan uh, matchup, that's my favorite game of the day. I really believe the Gators have a chance to come out on top, even though they've got the suspensions that they're faced with. Whoa, I might be agreeing with you a little bit later in the segment, uh, Corey. It's always great information <laughs> from a great player. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll get you on as the season progresses. Join Rich, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, and go dogs. Uh, that was great information. He's an intense guy. I, I'll tell you, in terms of two biggest receptions in Georgia Bulldog history, he set the game into the first SEC overtime in 1996 against Coach Bowden in Auburn, four-overtime game, and then he won the game against Georgia Tech in 1997. But did you hear his thoughts about uh, Jacob Eason and what he yeah. feels about that? I think there's pressure on him. Though, I and, totally uh, agree. And I think that pressure could really ratchet up next week in South Bend against Notre Dame. These first two games are key for Jacob Eason. We said it. We, we talked about it yeah. with Charles Davis. Uh, I think if they struggle in that matchup, they could be looking at a new quarterback uh, the rest of the way through SEC play. But this is what it's all about. We're just getting started. We'll pick it up with Michigan and Florida. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34. a little SEC football. We had Corey Allen talking a little Georgia. He was talking about Michigan and Florida, Rich, and that's where I'm going right now. It's number 11, Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, number 17, Florida, 
Intriguing battle here because I really agree with Corey. I think Florida's defense will be up and into this ballgame. You're talking about a Florida secondary last year that held all 13 opponents under 58% completion percentage. They held 7 of 13 under 50% completion percentage. And when you look at the losses on the offensive side of the ball, Chesson, Darbo gone, Jake Buck gone, Smith, their leading rushers gone. That's going to put a lot of pressure on Wilton Spate in this ballgame. How about the defensive departures at Florida? Though I mean, I, what fascinates me about this game, Joe, is this is an opportunity to learn not just about these two programs, but a lot of young kids. I, I mean, these are two developed programs, very well coached, led by Jim McElwain at Florida, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. And they have recruited excessively well over the past couple of seasons. So, yeah, I mean, 18 starters gone from Michigan. I think Florida has lost about 18 starters to suspension in the past couple of weeks. <laughs> right. So, I mean, there are going to be a lot of unanswered questions that get answered in Arlington today. I like Michigan, and I'll tell you why. I'm a big Don Brown fan, Ooh. the defensive coordinator. They lost a lot of starters, but they had a deep rotation last year. So, yeah, Rashawn Gary wasn't technically a starter, but he really was. Same thing with Maurice Hurst up front. They have a lot of – I think they're going to be a faster defense than they were last year. And with Don Brown, an entire offseason to prepare for a Florida offense that hasn't been good since Tim Tebow was in Gainesville, you got a first-time starting quarterback in Felipe Franks, no Antonio Callaway, no Jordan Scarlett. I think it's first team to 19 wins that wow. game, this game, and I think it's going to be Michigan. They shouldn't even play the game, Florida. They should no, uh, They I, should play the uh, game. I think, uh, I think it'll be competitive. It'll be a physical defensive struggle. Well, here's the matchup, and much to your point. Michigan last year was dominant in run support. They held eight opponents under 100 yards last year. They won all eight games, Rich by 37 points per game. They were 10-3, and three, but in their three losses to Iowa, Ohio State, and Florida State, the defensive front seven allowed over 100 yards rushing to each of those teams. So that's the matchup you want to see play out for Florida. Can they run the football? This was a Florida offense last year that only averaged 128 rushing yards per game in the last six games of the year, Rich, not one rushing touchdown. So if they can't run this ball, uh, run this football later on today, that's going to put them in third down and long situations. I don't care who the quarterback is, they're going to struggle. They need to find a way to attack Michigan's defense vertically. And when you look at Michigan's defense, they lose 33 of the team's 46 total sacks from last year. That was 71%. And more importantly, outside linebacker Jabril Peppers, what he was able to do in run support, creeping up on the line of sc- uh, scrimmage, to me, is the biggest loss to that defense. They're raw, they're athletic, but I think that they could be in a game later on today in Arlington. Oh, listen, I think this is a four-quarter game. And, and games like this where offensive points, big plays will come at a premium, I think you start looking at those smaller things. It's going to come, like a lot of games, I'm not really you know, uh, uh, you know know out on a limb here, but I think it's going to come down to turnovers. I think it's going to come down to field position. I think special teams, if you have a non-offensive touchdown in this game, that could completely flip the game in one direction or the other because I don't expect a lot of success from Felipe Franks. I do expect to see more than one quarterback. So I still I, I, I expect to see some packages, some sub packages from Malik Zaire, 
a more uh, veteran quarterback, a more athletic quarterback. But in Michigan's Wilton Spate, you do have someone that's done it before. He's going to struggle against the Florida uh, defense, but he's someone who has succeeded before in the Big Ten. He's healthy again this year. I expect to see uh, someone like Donovan Peoples-Jones, the wide receiver, five-star player from Michigan. I expect to see him have some big plays today. I just don't know where the Florida offense comes. Who's the playmaker that's going to solve a Don Brown defense. Well, I'll say this in terms of the quarterback position. I know Franks is getting the start, but if Luke Del Rio is healthy in this matchup, to me, he is the starter in this ballgame. I mean, I think he gets a majority of the snaps. He was the leader of that offense before he got hurt last year. Struggled with some shoulder issues, but as a confident quarterback, I mean, you're going with redshirt freshman Felipe Franks, you're going with Malik Zaire that wasn't even part of the program to me, I think it's just it's window dressing to keep Luke Del Rio from uh, knowing that he's playing. If he's healthy, uh, to me, I think he gets a majority of the snaps. Why in this not ball give game. him the start then? What, what, what would the rationale be for Jim McElwain not to give him the start? Number one. Number two, with all due respect to Luke Del Rio, he's a future assistant coach. I mean, he's not an NFL quarterback. No, I, I don't think he's a big. He's savvy, he's smart, that's, that's, and he will be a coach. I, I think like his need, dad. I, I think need. like his dad, he's going to right. be a coach in football. He's a smart smart game manager but again I don't think he's someone that solves what I think will be a very good defense I I know we're fixating on the number of starters that are gone from this Michigan defense but watch them later today that is going to be a feisty unit particularly at the point of attack Rashawn Gary is a breakout star that begins in Arlington today Rashawn Gary is a future first round NFL draft choice I think he's potentially an all-american this season now he gets his opportunity he gets more reps with he up front with Chase Winovich up front with Maurice Hurst up front I think they're going to be able to control the line of scrimmage. They, they're going to have to be because I think that's the recipe to beat Florida in this ballgame. I think when you look at their victory two years ago, they were able to jump up early on Florida and, and force them to match them score for score. So, And that's another factor, the revenge factor. This is a rematch where Florida got blown out in the Citrus Bowl 41-7. to I mean, just from that alone, expect the Gators to be up, expect them to be ready, expect them to have a chip on their shoulder entering this ballgame. And I think from Jim McElwain's perspective, you're going to have to roll the dice a little bit. You're going to have to take some trick plays. You're gonna, you can't play it straight up, per se. Run on first down, run on second down, and then third and five, and, and look for a short to intermediate pass. I think you have to really spread out Michigan secondary, force them to get loosen up a little bit, and then challenge that defense vertically and see what you can get later on in that But I think game. that's where you really miss Antonio Callaway. Say what you will about Callaway in terms of his off-field issues, and the kid has to grow up. I mean, he's got next-level talent, but he does not have next-level decision-making at this point in his life. But Antonio Callaway, he was that field stretcher. He's the kid who has that breakaway speed. He can get behind a defense. He can sort of stretch out a defense so you can kind of work the intermediate. You can work the running right. game a little more. He's not there. And, and Corey brought up a good point. They have good receivers there. Cleveland is a good receiver. They have speed and talent. But Callaway was the kid that they really were counting on to be that playmaker along with their top running back in Jordan Scarlett. So I I think if Florida is not scoring on special teams or at least setting up short field situations, Joe, 
I think they're going to have a very, very difficult time getting into the end zone. Well, and on the flip side, I expect Florida to play a lot of man-to-man coverage on the outside. With a young, inexperienced group of wide receivers, you have to force Wilton Spade to beat you over the top. And when you're talking about a secondary that was fantastic, when you think of college football and the landscape where quarterbacks are completing 65, 70% to hold 7 of 13 under 50%. I know it's the SEC, but still, that's that's a fantastic statistic in this matchup. Quincy Wilson is gone, yeah. right? Tease Tabor. Yeah, Tease Tabor is gone. Marcel Harris, who I thought was going to be one of the veteran leaders at safety, He's he gone. is gone out for the season with an injury. Now, having said that, Duke Dawson, one of my breakout players for 2017, was a nickelback last year in that secondary. Now he's moving into a more full-time role. I think Duke Dawson has an opportunity beginning in this game to be a breakout star that garners a lot of attention from NFL scouts. I think he's a real physical corner who can bully those Michigan wide receivers at the line of scrimmage. But again, I, I, I think it's if you like scoring, folks, this is not the game for you. If you like fireworks, go to a different game. This is not going to be the game for you. But if you're an old schooler that likes physical, ground and pound, really knock them in the teeth at the line of scrimmage type football, I think this is a very entertaining and telling football game for both of these players. I agree. I think it's going to be low scoring. I'm not going to give him my pick just yet. We'll have it at the end of the segment. You got me a little so excited there. You're kind of teasing. Us I here. am. I'm teasing yeah. everybody. But we'll turn to another matchup that got moved from Houston to New Orleans now. It should basically be a home game for LSU, BYU, and Tanner Mangum coming off, a, I want to say, a lackluster victory last week against Against Portland State, 20-6, now taking on Danny Etling, Ed Ogeron, Matt Canada, and Dave Aranda. You're talking about an LSU team that was 8-4 and four last year, Rich. Seven wins came against FBS opponents with a combined overall record of 46-43. and 43. Their four losses to Wisconsin, Auburn, Florida, and Alabama, those teams were 42-13 and 13 overall. They lost those games by 23 total points, mm. or 5.7 points per game. They were in each and every ball game. I have a feeling, though, BYU and Tanner Magnum could attack that secondary, minus Jamal Adams and Tredavious White. I would also, but I'm not, I don't think we're giving picks yet, right? No, not yet. Not giving <laughs> picks yet. I'm, I'm going to tip my hand a little bit by saying... Listen, we saw it on Thursday night with the new offensive coordinator, Kevin Wilson. I I think we're going to see some hiccups in this first game for Danny Etling and the offense. Darius Geis is going to play, but he's not 100%. My bigger concern for LSU right now is that offensive line is average by SEC standards. BYU has a very feisty physical defense under Kalani Sataki. And in terms of the first game, yeah, you'd like to see a better product against the Portland State but there's no way they were showing all of their packages in that game. They did just what was necessary to get the victory, get out of that game healthy, prepare for LSU. And oh, by the way, who's not playing for LSU? Arden Key. Arden Key. I mean, you're losing one of the premier pass rushers in America in this game. So Tanner Mangum probably won't feel as much heat. I don't want to tip too much, but I I think this is going to be a very competitive game in New Orleans. I think it's going to be high scoring as well. Now, I think LSU has to be aggressive. They have to attack that BYU secondary that allowed 250 passing yards per game. If they can do that, that'll open up the rushing attack for Darius Geis. They were 6-0 last year. Every time Darius Geis rushed for over 100 yards, they won those games against five FBS opponents, and they won by 26.6 points per game. So, hoping LSU and Darius Geis, rush for 100. We'll pick it up in the back end. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
just about two hours away from the first kickoff at 12 p.m. Eastern. We're in our pick segment. We talk some Michigan, Florida. We talk to Alabama, Florida State. Rich, this is a very intriguing battle. I like this ball game. It's South Carolina and Will Muschamp against North Carolina State and Dave Doran. I like NC State here. South Carolina was 6-7 and seven last year, did not beat a team with a winning record. The only team they beat, excuse me, was Tennessee. And for me, I think they overachieved. They have Jake Bentley, Rico Dowdle. But I like uh, Ryan Finley. I like Bradley Chubb. I think they dominate this ballgame by about 17 points There's a lot today. to like at NC State, no question about it. This is a great SEC-ACC undercard, right? I mean, this is yeah. a good matchup in terms of bragging rights for the conference. I like South Carolina this year. They, you may say they overachieved, but they had a first-year coach in Will Muschamp last year. They had a rookie quarterback in Jake Bentley, and they didn't have Sky Moore at linebacker, who True. was out all season. So I think South Carolina, although I'm not predicting an SEC East title, I think South Carolina is trending up heading into 2017. Trending up. I think Will Muschamp can get this uh, program turned around. And again, now the expectations are there in Columbia. I mean, when I look at their defense, they gave up over 200 yards rushing to opposing offenses, and they wore down against speed teams, South Florida, Clemson, Mississippi State, and Texas A&M, just to name a few. NC State, to me, is a speed team. They have Jalen Samuels. But I look at their defense, led by Bradley Chubb. They only allowed 108 rushing yards per game last year. They lost by seven to Clemson in Death Valley in overtime, lost by four to Florida State in Raleigh, and that's why I think they dominate this matchup. I like South Carolina. I think it's a competitive football game. I'm a huge Jake Bentley fan. I think he's got a bright future in Columbia. Again, I like the fact that Will Muschamp is is in his second season. Debo Samuel, the wide receiver, one of the better playmakers in the country, wasn't fully healthy last year, will be this year. I'm with you on NC State. I love their talent. Their defensive line is about as good as any in the country, but I think this is a competitive game. I would take the points. Another game we haven't talked about, it's an under-the-radar game. Justin Wilcox and California going uh, into... uh, uh, play North Carolina and Larry Fedora. Brandon Brandon Harris, the LSU quarterback transfer, comes over. You look at this offense overall, they lose 219 total receptions, 2,634 receiving yards, and 21 touchdowns with Elijah Hood, TJ Logan, Ryan Switzer, Matt Collins, and Bug Howard all gone. Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky, right. too. That's going to put a lot of pressure yeah. on them. I like California in this matchup. I do, matchup. too. Yeah, I, I like Cal getting the points. I think it's 11. Yeah. I like Cal. It's a long trip, but... I'm a big Justin Wilcox fan. It's not going to happen overnight. They don't have the talent to compete in the Pac-12 yet, but I think Justin Wilcox is one of the up-and-coming young coaches in college football. North Carolina is going to take a little while to transition. I believe in Larry Fedora. He just doesn't have the parts right now. Cal is going to be a surprise today. I like them getting the 11 points. I think if they're going to give their best effort, it will come week one. He's got to shore up that defensive front seven that allowed 276 rushing yards per game to opposing offenses last year. The two big ones now, Alabama, Florida, State. I'm going with DeAndre Francois. I'm going with a low-scoring game. Florida State strikes the upset 24-20 to over the Crimson Tide later today. I agree with you and I disagree with you. I agree that this will be a competitive game. I think the winner gets into the 30s. 
I'm taking the seven points as Ooh. well because I think this is a this is a four quarter game, Joe. It's going to model what we saw in the national championship, nip and tuck, back and forth. I'm taking Florida State, but Alabama wins. And I'm going with Florida and Jim McElwain, twenty three seventeen over Michigan. Yeah, I, I I see this as like a nineteen to <laughs> to thirteen type of a game in favor of Michigan. I think Jim Harbaugh gets the win. I think Michigan's going to surprise this year. It's going to take a while. We won't see many points. But I'm down on Florida. Those suspensions, I think, are going to loom big in Arlington this afternoon. Yeah, I think it's. I think they're going to come Take in. Michigan. I, could, I, I could see a fake punt onside kick to start the game. If you're banking on a fake, <laughs> fake punt, that's a problem. Take Michigan. Well, this is what it's all about. When we come back, we'll be breaking down the other 12 o'clock games, getting to the 3.30 games as well. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermon, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.